0: always a bit overwhelmed when I approach a Bible study. Always. Uh, I'm given the task of looking into God's Word and finding something to share. Uh, is, it's hard for two reasons. I, I'm I'm blown away by God's Word, by the significance of it. Uh, and two, all you guys walk in carrying Bibles, so I you, you know you're hip, you know. That freaks me out. In this particular chapter, I'm doubly freaked out uh, because uh, except for the first 12 words, this is, these are all red letter words. These are all the words of the Lord. And if that isn't enough, he's praying to the Father. So it's, it, you know, I mean, I really started reading this thing about a month ago over and over and over again. Uh, we're going to do a really quick recap uh, leading up to Chapter Seventeen, which is where we are tonight, uh kind of put us in the mood and uh create uh, an atmosphere of what this is all about in chapter eleven uh jesus and, and i 'm just going to hit the high points of these chapters and i 'm not going to do a, uh, a you know a bunch of Bible study on that uh, pardon me John eleven, John 11 for stars uh, we 're going to be in seventeen one And we're just going to blaze through these uh, chapters. In in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and the Passover is near. In chapter 12, uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus is dining with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He did raise him from the dead. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. The event we now call Palm Sunday of the triumphant entry occurs. In verse 23, Jesus proclaims that the hour has come that the Son of Man shall be glorified. Uh, An audible voice, the voice of God, speaks. It's heard by those who were there. I have both glorified it and glorified it again. In chapter 13, Jesus eats the Passover feast with his disciples. He washes the feet of his disciples. He predicts that Judas will uh, betray him. He tells the disciples he is going away. He predicts, predicts Peter's denial. A lot going on there. Chapter 14, uh, he comforts Peter and explains to his disciples what's about to happen. Uh, He explains that the Holy Spirit, the helper, will come. He explains that this is a prophecy for their sake so that when it happens, uh, they'll believe. It'll help them in their belief. In chapter 15, he likens himself to a vine and the disciples as, as the branches. He declares he has loved them as his Father has loved him. Uh, He's established his joy in them. I want to add here that the the joy of the Lord is our number one witnessing tool. Okay? Uh, He is sending them out, that you should go out and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And once again, Jesus refers to the helper. In chapter 16, he assures them, that they will be equipped for the task at hand. And he calls the Helper the Spirit of Truth. He predicts their anguish and then their coming joy. As he continues, this is important, their understanding increases. This chapter, we're coming to the culmination of, of his ministry. In verse 25, if you want to go there, you can read along with me. In chapter 16, he says... These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and come into the world again. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. In verse 29, the disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God there comes a time in every believer's walk uh, where you cross a line, okay? Uh, a line that separates disbelief or maybe partial belief uh, to, uh, from absolute belief. You change over. Uh, frequently, as in my personal experience, uh, absolute understanding doesn't always accompany uh, this absolute uh, belief. It doesn't... Uh, Accompany this moment. It's that leap of faith where you know that Jesus is the Son of God, accept Him as your Lord and Savior wholeheartedly, even though you don't exactly know how this all works. You know? You're not completely sure, but there's something that tells you this is real, this is happening. Uh, uh, their be- the belief that drove them and us uh, is the fuel. Uh, there are more than four times as many way more than four times as many of us here as there were disciples at that time. It was their faith in Jesus, their belief, that multiplied so many times over. This isn't the only Bible study going on, you know. I mean, there are so many believers. Uh, We run into them every day. I like to wear t-shirts like Not of This World or or like Don, I was always wearing a Jesus shirt or something. uh, Or... uh, and it, I can't tell you how many times somebody will come up to me and tell me they like my shirt. And and it ends up becoming a moment of fellowship, sometimes of prayer right on street corners uh, with people that I don't even know. So uh, the faith that we have in the Lord becomes the multiplication. And uh, it brings us here tonight. And it will bring many more. And as, as X is fond of saying, should the Lord tarry, you know. In verse 31, also still in uh, chapter 16, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe, indeed the hour is coming, yes, has come, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone? And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world will you, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer." I have overcome the world. This is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment in this in this time of the disciples and in Jesus' ministry. When he says, do you now believe? I saw it as a rhetorical question. They believed. They, they just told him that in uh, verse 30. They said, we believe that you came from God. Uh, and now he he answers them, do you now believe? I got to feel that Jesus was joyous at that moment, it's like like your kid when you're trying to explain something to your kid and they just ain't getting it, you know, and they finally get it, and you go, "All right, you know, <laughs> yeah uh and but this is amazing they, he told them that he's going to be crucified, there's going to be the scattering of disciples, tribulation, but he exhorts them to be of good cheer, okay everything that he he basically tells them everything you've relied on for the past three years. Is going to fall apart. But be of good cheer. You know? Why? Because he's overcome the world. This is the end of his teaching. That's why this is so pivotal. This is the end. The, the end of chapter 16 is the end of Jesus talking to the disciples, except for little smatterings uh, towards the end of the book. This is the end of his ministry. Uh, he's he's. They finally got it. Yeah, we get it. He goes, all right. You know? Uh, There are no more miracles and no more parables. And now, as we begin this chapter, chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus looks up to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your word. Your word, Lord, which just so strengthens us and makes us so much better than we could ever be apart from you, Lord. Lord. May your word penetrate our hearts. May it be something we take out into the streets, into our lives. And as we meet the, the people that don't know you, may they see that joy in us, Lord. May they see that something in us that says, uh, this person's got something special and I might have to ask them about it. Lord, we thank you for all we have and we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, uh, we'll get right into the, the verse. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given me out of the world. They were Yours, You gave them to me, and they have kept Your word. Now they have known that all things which You have given me are from You, for I have given to them the words which You have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent them. You sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world." I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. For they, have not, they are, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for they, their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Wow. See why I kept reading this for a month? Uh, how many times did he say, whom you gave me, who you, you have given me? Uh, but, and this, that kind of freaked me out. I had to look at that closely. I had a lot of conversations with brothers over that. Now, this is not Calvinism. The free will of these men has never been in question. Uh, they were given to him by Jesus, but the men always had their free wills. never said that they had lost their free will or that they had no choice in the matter. First verse, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Have you ever noticed that when we pray, we either bow our heads Look up to heaven, have you ever noticed that? I do one or the other, except when i 'm driving. <laughs> I usually close my eyes when I pray. I even do that when i 'm driving now, <laughs> except when i 'm driving, but it's true it seems that whenever you you want to pray with somebody, they either bow their heads or they look up, you know they look up to God. Jesus looked up uh. Jesus looks up and prays, and he prays beautifully for them and for us. He's praying for us. This is important. And in all ways, this is obviously a prayer. And while we observe Jesus in the past through all these, these uh, other chapters where he's instructing and teaching and, and, uh, and, and giving the disciples some foundation, uh, we now witness him speaking directly to the Father. And once again, he used the words, the hour has come. Uh, remember back in John 2. I'll read just You don't have to turn there. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. In verse 4, he said, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Not so now. His hour has come. This is it. Uh, repeatedly, Jesus refers to the hour, to the, to the moment that he has come for. While at, at the wedding got, at uh, Cana, his time hadn't come, but now he says the hour is coming. He says, glorify your son, Jesus asks the Father, but to what purpose? What purpose? That your Son may glorify you. That your Son may glorify you. Throughout his ministry, he's continually pointed to God. He's continually reported, uh, pointed to the Father. And as we continue on, on this chapter tonight, we're going to see that even more and more. He never stopped doing that. He never wanted the glory for himself. He, I mean, you know, he did some amazing things, and yet he constantly pointed to the Father. Uh-uh. So when we point people to Jesus, when we point people to Jesus, we're pointing them to God. It's, it's important to remember that. I think a lot of times uh, we we have a tendency to uh, to kind of compartmentalize God. You know, you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about God. We're talking about God, and it's it's important to remember that. When, when we point people to Jesus, we're pointing them to God. In verse 2, it says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus is empowered. He's empowered over all life, all flesh. Uh, he's given authority. And, and there's no limit. There's no select few. All flesh. Uh, he is in, under authority to give eternal life. Uh, to as many of you have given. There's no limit. Uh, let's l- look at the word authority for a minute. Uh, if I talk to the guys in jail about authority, they look at the at the jailer. They look at the sheriffs. That's authority to them. But when, uh, in Matthew 8, verses 5 to 10, when Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him pleading with him saying Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented Jesus said to him I will come and heal him the centurion answered and said Lord I am not worthy that you should come under my roof but only speak a word and my servant will be healed here's the key for I also am a man under authority having soldiers under me and I say to this one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this, he marveled, and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The the centurion, who was a Gentile, understood immediately that Jesus was empowered. And as Jesus had authority over all flesh, the, the centurion had authority over the men uh, assigned to him. A centurion was a, a captain over a, a hundred men. Everybody knows that. Uh, in verse 3, And this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God, in Jesus Christ, who you have sent. It's, it's a trip. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. And that's cool. That's amazing. It began when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay? Uh... When Christ became the Lord of our lives, we were included in heavenly citizenship, which is eternal. It's not something that's, that's for a while. Uh, eternal death is separation from God. That's where we were headed. We were already eternally dead when we walked in darkness. Be- because of the temporal nature of our bodies, because our bodies... Uh, have a beginning and an end, without a doubt. I, I used to work with this uh, born again foreman that used to start his day. He'd have a crew in front of him and he'd tell them, "We're all in this together, and nobody gets out alive." You know, and the, and the crew would laugh. You know, they thought it was funny. Fernando uh, was a Christian, and he'd look over at me like, "You know, yeah." You know. Uh, but because of the temporal nature, it's easy to forget uh the the, the eternal nature of our souls. You know, we're not we, it doesn't end here. Uh in Proverbs four, but uh verses eighteen and nineteen. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day, which is eternity with God. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. Jesus is empowered to give us this. And it doesn't take any effort on our part other than saying yes. We don't have to do anything special. We're not. It isn't works that is going to get you to heaven. It isn't uh, helping little old ladies across the street or little old men like me. Uh, you know that's not it. It's funny as I'm getting older, I'm noticing a lot of people want to help me do things. You know, They're really, <laughs> they really. Okay, thank you. Uh, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. And eternal death is separation from God. And eternal death is happening to people right here. Before we knew who, the, before I knew who the Lord was, I was always messing up. I got a line in a song. I was in and out of trouble like a merry-go-round. You know? Yeah. You know, I was. I was. I kept. You know. I remember the last time I woke up in jail. I went. Oh, I went not again. You know. You know, it, I just kept messing up. And that that was, I was in eternal darkness. You know, I mean, I straightened out to a point. My life didn't get good until I said yes to Jesus. Uh, and all around us on a day-to-day basis, see individuals whose lives are seemingly pointless and miserable. In my life, I'm not without difficulty. Uh, that doesn't make me special, okay? <laughs> I mean, I can hear a lot of you going, ah, you think you got difficulty, you know? We all have cares, concerns, difficulties, but when you're walking with the Lord, somehow they all seem doable they're surmountable uh, and it means being able to endure uh we're able to endure that's, that's it 's that simple it's like i can I can handle this i don't like it maybe, but I can handle it, and I can do it and that that gives me that gives me great peace uh there's a brother here who's all beat up from multiple surgeries, failing kidneys. And when you ask him how he's doing, he says, horrible. And he smiles. <laughs> His issues are beyond the ordinary, by far. But the Lord has given him a joy that is not shaken by circumstance. Uh, we walk in the light because the path of justice is like the shining sun. Notice that it does not tell us we may not that we get to know God when we die you know we get to go know God right now by accepting Christ as our savior like we did there's an immediacy to salvation and in verse 3 this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent verse 4 I have glorified you on the earth I have finished the work which you have given me to do makes two statements uh, the first, he gave him glory to God throughout his ministry. Now, looking back on his ministry, we can't find one instance where Jesus looked, uh, claimed any glory for himself. Uh, he was always turned, turned to turned us to God, the Father. When he said, I have finished the work which you have given me to do, I'm, we might wonder, with the cross ahead of him, how that work was completed. Uh, it it seemed to me incomplete, you know. He hadn't been crucified yet. But uh, when anybody says yes to the Lord, last Sunday four guys, I I did an altar call and four guys raised their hand. Right, I let them in the sinner's prayer. His work is ongoing. Ongoing. He could say, "Then it's finished. It's finished." You know, and. Uh, I believe that he knew uh, the finality of his ministry. Remember in, at the end of uh, 16, we read verse 29, his disciples said, to him, Now you're speaking plainly, using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things, have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And he says, and do you now believe? I can't f- help but feel a sense of joy in the Lord. At this point, like we do with a kid, uh, I, I feel the question is re- rhetorical because we get no answer. We get no answer. He says, uh, "Do you now believe?" Jesus has been teaching, speaking, demonstrating the power of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God for over three years. You know, he's been he's been at it a while, uh, and I can't believe in my heart that he has completed a significant portion of his work. You know, if you want to hang your hat on a, a particular word and say, "Well, you know," and 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 get down into this timeline thing of, "Well, he still got the cross." I don't know how he could say that. I, I believe that a lot of his work was done. A lot of his work was done, and and it's ongoing. The cross wasn't the end of it. Look at us. You know, we're two thousand years since that day. You know, and and his work is still going on. Uh, But the disciples were now ready to be sent out. And I believe the Lord earned a reason to make this statement joyfully. You can read four and five together uh, where you get. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had before. Before the world was. Verse 5 continues, verse 4. As Jesus asked the Father once again to glorify Him. I believe for the work ahead. That's why I'm, I think He's saying, Father, glorify me. Uh, his eternal nature is stated plainly. Before the world was. The glory I had with you before the world was. Uh, also notice that Jesus referred to, uh, to the to the... Uh, the glory he always possessed, and remember, this is the glory he left be- behind in order to minister to. He divested himself of his glory, walked as a man. You know, I, my back hurts a lot of times, and and I, th- I every time I think of that, and I think of Jesus being filleted with that cat of nine tails, uh, and and having to push up against that cross to breathe, my backache doesn't seem so bad. You know, it doesn't. In Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the, uh, the death of the cross. A horrific death that a sinless man would die for us it's important to remember that Jesus was sinless I deserve all my aches and pains I deserve my whooping uh, <laughs> sadly I've earned them uh, but Jesus didn't and he didn't deserve it at all but he did it for us uh, he's, pre- he's preparing to go to his righteous place and assume the glorious mantle of his glory he wore before the world was before the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, you know eternity, we talk about eternity uh and and we can only imagine we can really only imagine it, we're so locked into time we're you know we've got we've got our beginning, you know, wow, you know <laughs> and I think a lot of people go out that way too, <laughs> you know. I I hope I don't go out that way. Uh, Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We're all God's children. And Jesus has the authority over all flesh. Remember though, you can still say no. Jesus has been the physical embodiment of God. And as, as God the Son has demonstrated God to these disciples. He's demonstrated God. He's been uh God may well have given men to Jesus, but uh in no way indicates the they were stripped of their free will. Please bear in mind the ministries these men would champion uh after the cross, after the cross, after they scattered. You know? After they went, Oh man, this isn't exactly what they had in mind. A lot of them really believed that Jesus would be king and that they would uh they would uh uh rule with him, and you know, they thought this is going to be great, you know, wait until wait until he's in charge. I wonder what job i'm going to get you know now he's telling them no, i'm going to get crucified, and you guys are going to all run you know and they're going, really, Peter really got even uh, not me, but that was Peter, Peter really had a big mouth uh, the definition. Of uh, demonstrating or, or the physical embodiment of God, he was evidence of. He was proof. He was proof. The way he led a sinless life, the way he taught, the way things he said, the miracles he performed. He's saying this is God. Uh, and uh, as we reflect on the life of the Lord, he doesn't just teach him about about God, about his love, his power. He demonstrated. He demonstrated. Uh, his love to him. He demonstrated the power of God to him. They got to watch it up close and personal. But it still took them to the end of 16 to say, now we believe. I mean, look, look at all the things they were seeing, you know. you know, Hey, did, don't you think we ought to send these guys home so they can get something to eat? Ah, you feed them. Wait a minute. We ain't got enough to feed them. You know, and then they gather up 12 baskets of crumbs. They're going, hmm, how did you do that? Verse 7, Now they have known all the things which you have given me are from you. Once again, referring back to the end of chapter 16, we, we see the, the disciples being referred to. They know the power of the Son, the power of God, the, the Father manifested. The word now to me indicated that they didn't understand the source of His authority before, but they understood it now. He said, Now they have known that all things you have given me or from you for I have given them the words which you have given me and they have received them verse 8 and have known surely I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me I remember when Darrell taught chapter 1 the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God says, I have given them the words which you have given me this is intense Say the word of God never comes back void, and it doesn't. It doesn't. These men, you know, a lot of times, and Don, Don, agree with this. At jail, it, we, you know, we read them the Word of God. It's not me. It's not Don. It's none of the other chaplains. It's the Word of God. It's so incredibly powerful that these guys will sit there and look at you like, you know, and then they they start to get it. This is, you know, I tell them it's not me. It's not me talking. Uh-uh. These men have sat under Jesus for three years. The source of our Lord's teaching is referred to. Jesus has been the conduit for God's word. They are equipped to do the work of the kingdom. They have understood where the power came from and, Jesus, and where Jesus came from. They have known surely. Surely, key word. There's no guessing here. They're not supposing. They're saying, I wonder if... Uh, they know Surely. In stating that these men believe, there is a measure of free will indicated. They did not have to believe. If I, if I believe in the Lord, I could also not believe in the Lord. In verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus lifts these men up in prayer, not mankind in general, but for these men specifically. Given the ministry which they are going to be given, uh, i don 't find this odd at all uh, when we pray for one another don 't we pray specifically when so, you know when someone prays for my owie doesn 't he pray for your owie differently you know he did, we don 't pray we do pray specifically we 're instructed to and so now he 's lifting these guys up verse ten, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is already refer, all refer, referred to the shared glory of God the Son with God the Father in verse 5. And now, o Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world was. To give glory to Jesus, give glory to the Father. Too often, because of the tr- Trinity, as I said, we can't compartmentalize God Uh It's important for us to remember when we worship Jesus, we worship God and give glory to the Spirit. We do. The apostles have by their faithfulness and understanding given glory to the Son. Thereby they gave glory to God. Uh, Spurgeon, I love to quote Spurgeon. This is a Spurgeon quote. There's an old proverb, and I cannot, cannot help quoting it just now. It is, Love me, love my dog. It is as if the Lord Jesus so loved the Father that even such poor dogs, dogs as we get loved by Him for His Father's sake. To the eyes of Jesus we are radiant with beauty because God hath loved us. Isn't that night? Love me, love my dog. <laughs> Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I have come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given me that may, they may be one as we are. The final transition is being made here. Jesus, like I said, there's no more parables. Uh, he's done his work with the disciples. They got it. Now they're ready to be sent out, but they're going to have to go through a horrible time with the uh, crucifixion. In verse 4, Jesus made the statement that his work was done in the light of the apostles' leap of faith and understanding. It was. But the work of Jesus always ongoing, will be ongoing until the rapture of his kingdom is established. Perhaps Jesus is praying with the cross in mind and sending out the apostles for the great commission, uh, which is close at hand. To, To what purpose? That they may be one as we are. The unity, this is so important, the unity of the Father and the Son is once again stated here. Jesus prays for the apostles to share that same kind of holy fellowship, when we get to verse 20, we're included in this extraordinary prayer. And that uh, that's the holy share, uh, fellowship that we all share with each other. That's the holy fellowship that when you're wearing a Jesus shirt uh, and somebody stops you and says, that's a great shirt, and you end up praying with them on a street corner. That's the holy fellowship. That's cool. I i absolutely love those chance meetings. And sometimes, sometimes I get so much out of them uh, It's amazing. It isn't like, uh, you know, I'm running around, you know, going, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You know? And there are people that kind of do that, but I think they kind of, I think sometimes that doesn't work so good. Uh, In verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in your name. Those you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So here in verse 12, he refers to his stewardship of these men. They're all safe, except for Judas. He has guarded them with the authority that the Father has given him. The word kept actually refers, uh, differs slightly from guarded. Uh, kept refers to like the feeding of the flock. The latter is the protection of the flock. Uh, I'm going to read a commentary. Ellicott. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition. This is really, really important, the last words of this. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition. Better, none of them perished except the son of perdition. The tense is the same as the word guarded. The good shepherd watched his flock, and such was his care, that none perished, but the son of perdition. Of him the words carefully state that he perished he then was included in them which thou gavest me. So he was given to the Lord along with everybody else. For him there was the same preservation, the same guardianship as for those who remained in the fold. The sheep wandered from the flock and he was lost by his own act. He was lost by his own act. The Calvinists like to point out that Jesus, uh, when Jesus made this prayer that Judas had already left. He had been uh, he had, uh, Jesus said we well, do do quickly and he split they were having the fast over feast Calvinists like to point this out they say well see he wasn't praying for Judas but he was because he said those that you gave me uh, the expression son of perdition is a Jewish idiom describing a disobedient child In Isaiah 57.4 we find an example whom do you ridicule? ridicule against whom do you make a wide mouth are you not children of transgression, offering falsehood? And then in Psalm forty nine, it's the act that Judas committed was even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Verse thirteen. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may that my that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves Jesus is specific in his prayer in the world but I still read into it a sense of transition that's the way I see it uh, and I may be wrong uh, still specifically our, our Lord prays for his joy that they may be, his joy may be fulfilled in us remember verse 20 he's going to pray for us too we're included this is not just for the disciples this is huge He's praying for us to be happy. He's praying for us to be happy. He's praying for His joy. That's God's joy to be fulfilled in us. This is not your everyday joy. This isn't the joy that, you know, that (laughs) the kid who asked the girl out on a date and she says, yes, you know, it's not that kind of joy. This is the joy of the Lord. Jesus had a, David Gusek another quote, uh, had a life filled with joy. He could speak of my joy. If he did not take, this part of the prayer would make no sense. Truly, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. Isaiah fifty three three. Nevertheless, there was a joy and a satisfaction in the life experience of Jesus that surpassed the joy of any other who ever lived. His joy was rooted in unbroken fellowship with his Father. His joy was the fruit of true faith and confidence in his Father. His joy came from seeing great things God had done His joy was never diminished by his own sin. His joy was never diminished by deception. His joy was never diminished by allowing even the smallest foothold to the devil. This is the joy that Jesus is praying for us to have. That's an incredible prayer. Verse 14. I have given them your word. The world has hated them. Because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Andre's (laughs) Andre's t-shirt. <laughs> Somebody asked me what time, what does this uh, t-shirt mean? And I told him. And he went, oh. You know. <laughs> the little, little side trip. I was, I was getting in the elevator at County, and, and these Jewish rabbis were coming out. And they had their books with them and everything. And I have my guitar on my shoulder, my Bible. And, one, and they saw this long bearded guy. goes, can you play Havana Gila? <laughs> and, and I said, no, but I can play Amazing Grace. And he went, oh, God. <laughs> <And> one, <laughs> it was funny. It was great. Once again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, Word of God is powerful. The, Word, uh, the Father's Word has been given to the apostles by the Son of God, and the result has been the world hated Him. Not much changes, does it? The reason is that in realizing who Christ is and accepting Him as the Lord of their lives, they become citizens of heaven or no longer of the world. As I said earlier, our eternal home is where we will be with Jesus. We are not citizens of the world anymore. And how many of us have experienced uh, derision or, uh, you know, people looking down their nose at you or criticizing you, ridiculing you even uh, because our belief and commitment to the Lord. From friends, from family. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus is leaving. Jesus is leaving. The apostles aren't. they got to stay. Uh, they have work to do in the world. Jesus will work from home. Just kidding. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's uh, <laughs> everywhere. We're in the world, and that's the place we must do our work. That's where the disciples are going to do their work. And it's easy uh, It's easy to get for us to get in our comfort zone. We go to church, we say our prayers, we read our Bibles, and we fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Uh, but you've got to be careful about playing it too safe. Uh, there just might be a divine appointment out there for you. Uh, I, I don't know if I should tell you this story or not, but... Uh, we were walking along, and there was this old guy, and he had hiking poles. And, and The divine appointment isn't always that you're going to witness to someone or that you're going to bring someone to the Lord. The Lord might have something for you out there. This old man's walking along, saw my Yosemite shirt. Oh, you've been to Yosemite? Yeah, I've been to Yosemite. Oh, far out. And he goes, he's hmm. like probably 15 years older than me, 10, 15 years, and he said, he says, I, I, I went to Yosemite. I've climbed Half Dome many times. And he goes, in fact, I took my wife there for our last trip together. And he goes, she died two months ago. And I went, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he, says, he says, it's funny. He says, the morning she died, he goes, my senior pastor came over, and and he, uh, he always calls before he comes. He says, but this morning the doorbell rang, I opened it, and there he was. He says, the Lord told me I had to be here. He said, within a half hour she breathed her last. He says, we prayed over her. He goes, and, and we were joyous. We were joyous because we knew she went to heaven. We knew where she was. She was a wonderful woman. He said, next morning I walked into that room, he goes, and it was so empty. And I was so lonely. And I was so depressed. He says, something happened. He goes, It wasn't a still small voice. It was it was like a A presence, a real presence that I felt, and the comforter came. And he took away my tears. And he took away my sorrow. And I'm okay. I know that I'll be home with her someday. I don't know when, but you know. And as Debbie and I walked away from this guy, we prayed with him right on the corner. As we walked away, I was like, uh, we were both crying. And I just think, I told Deb, I go, that was for us. That wasn't for him. That was for us. The Lord put that guy in my life for that moment just to give me that reassurance, that strength. You know, And I was blown away by it. This, this old man was something else. Uh, divine appointments. Uh, also, Jesus asked the Father for our protection. The Lord knows we need it. First uh, Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Jesus once again acknowledges his heavenly home and includes the apostles and us. And if there's anything that will help you get through your day, and give you a measure of peace, is that we may be in the world, but we're not of it. So when I watch Hannity, I don't get that freaked out. You know? uh, the world, this world is absolutely nuts. It is. It can aggravate you, distract you, and just make you furious sometimes uh, for a while. Heaven is forever, right? Amen? Amen. The old Quaker farmer's story I read, they were having a meeting, they were supposed to read their favorite verse in the Bible, and he got up and he said, uh, and it came to pass, and he sat down, they said, what's the rest of it? He says, that's my favorite verse in the Bible, because... Said, if it came to stay, he says, I don't think I could have done this. Yeah. <laughs> Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are sanctified. It is set apart by the word of God. The Bible we hold in our hands, inerrant, absolutely truthful word of God, and by it we are sanctified. That is, we must read it daily and dwell on it. Dwell on it. The, this is I, got, I. I love to read this, and it may not have anything to do. With it. It's about the Bible. It's a Gideon's preface. The Bible contains uh, the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, Pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, its design, the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Wow. I I read that in Gideon's, and I just went, Lord, I I go over that. I read it over and over. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Jesus came to dwell among us. It was not an accident. It was not without a purpose. John 3.16 uh, tells us plainly, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus had a job to do. He did it well. The apostles had a job to do. They did it. And we're proof that they did their jobs well. Now we have a job to do. You know, Let us do our jobs well. Let us do our jobs well. And for their sakes, I sanctify Myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Uh, Sanctification, set apart, declare holy, consecrate, free from sin, purify. Jesus will indeed be set apart in a very short while when he becomes the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. There is none like Jesus, and he will show this at the cross. The apostles will be set apart by the word of God, which they have received. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. I'm amazed when I look at what was accomplished by the disciples. Fishermen, tax collector, normal people. Uh, maybe the upbringing and Jesus, genius of, uh, of Paul might be an exception. But once empowered, the Holy Spirit used these guys. Uh, you want to serve God? Let yourself be used. Uh, get out of his way. <laughs> get out of his way and let him use you stated in Proverbs, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in Me through their word. He had such confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the apostles, and He knew how effective the work of the cross and the testimony of these men would be. He knew this. At this point, there were 11 apostles, and here we are, once again, here we are, you know. Uh, that's what they did. I mean, they went out there and just did their job. They worked hard. They worked hard and they had the Holy Spirit empowering them. And, you know, we we see this now this day and we're just like, wow. And what? Verse 21, that they may all be one as you, Father, and me, and I and you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. To be united with God, to be united amongst each other. This is the truth. There's no division in the Trinity, and there should be no division in us. Absolutely not. Once again, I'm going to go to Spurgeon real quick. We're faithful to the truth, but we are not to be of a contentious spirit, separating ourselves from those who are living members of the one indivisible body of Christ. To promote the unity of the church by creating new divisions is not wise. Cultivate at once the love of the truth and the love of the brethren. Why are we not one? Sin is the great dividing element. The the perfectly holy would be perfectly united. The more saintly men are, the more they love their Lord, the more and, and one another and thus become closer in union with each other. The purpose of our unity, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not just so that we can have a club, you know. We're all in the same club, you know. So we're getting to the heart of the matter. You you, you may attempt to convince non believers by your rhetoric, quoting God's word, and using logic. I was never convinced by any of those arguments, and I wasn't. Uh, you know, Turner Burn meant nothing to me. You know, if uh, if you've never been to Disneyland and somebody says they're going to Disneyland, it doesn't have any significance whatsoever. You know, but show me love, show me joy, and you've got my attention. You know, if 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 you're a loving, joyous person, uh, that's your best witness. That's your best witness. What did Fran- uh, Francis of Assisi say? And if you have to, use words. You know. You have to use words. Nurture your love for God and lo- nurture your love for each other. We're not all lovable, you know? We're not all lovable. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's not the easiest thing that we're called to do, to love one another. Uh, but that's what we're called to do. You know, nobody said it was going to be easy. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. God's glory was manifested in our Lord. He was 100% God in his manifested form and 100% man. All that God is, Jesus is so. The apostles walked in the glory of God and to me the joy of the Lord and the love of God. And that's a large part of the glory of God. That this would promote our fellowship with each other was the desire of our Lord. Verse 23 I and them, and you and me, that they be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me. And I have loved them as you have loved me. Uh, to enter into a complete fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is what this is all about. To be aware of God's love for us through Christ. To know that God loves us as He loved His Son, as Jesus is God's love personified, we through Him are also in the love of God. We are the ambassadors of God's love. That's what we're here for. And I'm telling you, once again, it's not because you got a great argument or that you got Scripture all memorized, you know, that you can say this, hey, see, that's how it is. They don't have the mind of Christ. But by your love for people, by your joy, the joy that you carry in your own heart, then we change people, then people get changed. They say, "How you know?" That, there were people I go, I, "What has he got? What has he got?" I found out later they were Christians. You know? Oh yeah, we fall short. I hear people say all the time, "I'm not Jesus. I just can't love like that." <laughs> Give me a break. I know we're not called to perfection, but perfection has given us example to look to. I'm not Jesus either. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Yeah. When I look for an example... That's my wife. No, <laughs> <She, laughs> oh, hey. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I fall short. I stumble sometimes. I fail miserably. Uh, but He soothes my soul when I do. And He gives me the grace to try again. Gives me the grace to keep trying. Most of you know I play guitar. Uh, will I ever be able to say I've perfected it and mastered it? No. Even the best guitarist on the planet is still trying to get it right and they know they never will. They know that. Uh, but we don't quit trying and neither should we. We don't quit trying. So it is with us. None of us are Jesus but someday we'll see him face to face. and I want to hear him say well done good and faithful servant. Enter in the presence of the Lord. Don't quit. That's our job. That's what we're trying to do. You know, ultimately, you know, we were all born, like I said, wow, you know, and we're all going to die, you know. And when we die, that's our reward. We're going to get our reward. Verse 24, Father, desire that they also may, uh, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. That our Saviour wants to spend eternity uh, wants us to spend eternity with him is abundantly clear. It's very clear. Remember in verse fourteen in chapter fourteen, verse two, in my father's house and many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He told us in chapter fourteen. Now he asked the Father to allow this to be. And in, in doing so, we're going to see Him in His glory. I can't help but imagine what that might be like. I have a very vivid imagination. But I don't believe any imagination can imagine that. Verse 25, O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. At this time there were eleven apostles and those that followed Jesus, so the world surely did not know Jesus. That one man and so few could become what we are today is astounding. It blows my mind. As we meet here in this upper room, our our own upper room, uh, don't we all have a cause to be blown away when you think about this? Uh, Through His oneness with God, Jesus knew God, and through Him, the faithful have done an amazing uh, work. And now we get to know God too. We get to know God too. Verse 26. Verse 26. Last verse, and I have declared to them your name will declare it that your love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. This is what it's all about it's god 's love uh, that the love which you which you love me may be in them we have god's love in us that's what Jesus wants for us, so as we come to this final verse we Jesus prays for the love of God to be in us. It's that simple. It's the love that defines us, and this is how Jesus ends this prayer. God's love is absolute and perfect. I will make real quick reference to Calvinism here and end with this. I just finished reading uh, Armenian rebuttals to Calvinism, and I broke my brain. I didn't get it. Okay? Uh, it, it, it came down to this. Uh, Jesus was given the apostles but the apostles had free will to say yes or no to Jesus the same choice we're free to make if we're predestined why did Jesus was sent why were the apostles sent out uh, what purpose does Calvinism uh, prove and does it show God to be kind loving and merciful and I, I'm not an authority on this but uh, Xavier just happened to do a great job uh, teaching it last Sunday uh, so, John 4.35, do you, not st- uh, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are definitely white for harvest. we got a job to do. You guys want to do one more song? Got time? we got time. One more song. And let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We're grateful, Lord, for your love. I'm grateful for your word. And I'm grateful that you teach us how to live our lives. Lord, uh, our Bible is our owner's manual. It teaches us how to run the machine and how to fix the, uh, fix the computer when it, when it fails, Lord. We ask you to con- completely take us over. And as we go out into the world to protect us from this wacky world and from the enemy who wants to bring us down. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's let's stand closing worship. Thank you.